0: and would you open our hearts to all you have for us this evening. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Lydia. Well, that's quite loud. Um, wonderful. It's a, such a blessing to be with you all here today. Uh, we're going to be looking at the book of Esther. So if you'd like to follow along on the Green Bibles provided, we're on page 482. Um, and I'm going to jump straight into it. So we're going to do one of the readings during the sermon rather than at the beginning. Um, so follow along, page 482. Um, I've titled this sermon, We Are Not Alone, God Is With Us, because that is what, exactly what we see in Esther. And it's actually one of my personal favorite books in the Bible, because not just because it's about a woman in leadership, um, but because it's written with wit, with irony, and with depth and wisdom. So, to start, it's set about 100 years after the Babylonian exile of the Israelites from their land, and while some Jews did return to Jerusalem, which we see in, (laughs) I've got a musical accompaniment tonight, it's fantastic. Um. So we see in Ezra and Nehemiah, though they were before Esther in the Old Testament, actually um, chronologically happened about a generation after Esther. But some Jews did not return. And so the book of Esther is about a Jewish community living in Susa, the capital city of the Persian Empire, who was saved from genocide instigated by a member of the royal court, Haman. So today I'm going to walk us through a summary of the book of Esther and land on three practical points of application um, that we can glean from this amazing document. So Esther is a curious book of the Bible because it's one of only two books of the Bible that does not mention God's name once, the other being Song of Songs. And it's a brilliant technique, I believe, by the author because it's an invitation to read the story looking for God's activity. Um, and the exciting thing is there's signs of it everywhere. There's only 10 chapters in the book of Ex- Esther, so I encourage you to go home and uh, read through it more in depth after tonight. But Esther esther is her Greek name. I'm not going to try and pronounce uh, her Hebrew name or the king's Hebrew name. We'll go with the Greek. She is an orphan raised by her cousin Mordecai. They're Jewish, and they and their fellow Jews Uh, the Israelites are living in exile, and they may have lost their home, but they still know their mission is to build a strong, righteous nation that would live for the light of God in the world. Then we have Xerxes, who's the king of Persia. Something of a drunken pushover in this story. And we're told he's got 127 provinces uh, from India to Africa, which made Persia the most mighty empire in the world at the time, and Xerxes the most powerful man in the world. But instead of pursuing his mission wisely to rule, he's a shallow king driven by ego and pleasure. So the book of Esther begins with a lavish, drunken feast given by King Xerxes and the deposal of his queen Vashti, who refused the king's order and to come and be put on display, and quite frankly, I don't blame her. Xerxes has no mission to serve God or humanity at the center of his life. He has no calling, so he lives by impulse, and when we live by impulse, we collect regrets. He wakes up one day and realizes, I have no queen. What was I thinking? So he decides to get a new queen, and scripture tells us that he decided to be advised by the king's servants rather than the Supreme Court. And the the king's servants, Scripture tells us, were all young males. So, of course, high with testosterone, what do you think the number one criteria was going to be for his new wife? Esther, chapter 2, verses 2 to 4, says, Let a search be made for beautiful young virgins for the king. Let beauty treatments be given to them. Then let the young women who pleased the king be queen instead of Vashti. So every province was to contribute the most beautiful woman it had. 127 provinces. A large harem from which to compete for one man's attention. Kind of reminds me of the show The Bachelor where they had 25 candidates and this one man uh, eliminates the candidates and then is expected to propose to the last contestant. So essentially King Xerxes decided to create his own bachelor contest. And the author of Esther with his wit is lampooning this process as hopelessly moronic. Uh, Xerxes thought he could take a hot wife and essentially believed that this would give him the credibility to rule a nation. But what they don't know in this despicable circumstance, is that God is in the picture, as he's always in the picture. And so Esther goes to prepare for the king. Mordecai, her guardian, uh, instructs her not to tell the king that she is Jewish. First dates come with a lot of pressure. So uh, I guess it's understandable. Think about it for yourself. We might spend 15 minutes, maybe up to an hour, getting ready for a first date. Let's see how long uh, Esther took. Esther, chapter 2, verse 12 and 13. Before a young woman's turn came to go into King Xerxes, she had to complete 12 months of beauty treatments. Six months with oil and myrrh and six with perfume and cosmetics. A lot of pressure. But Esther found Xerxes' favor. Chapter 2, verse 17 says, "'The king was more attracted to Esther than any of the other women,' And she won his favor and approval more than any of the others. So what did this king, the party animal, do next? He threw another feast, this time in the honor of Esther. Uh, But they don't live happily ever after. Esther's guardian, Mordecai, offends the king's right-hand man, Haman. Haman's ego and pride create a great evil. And he gets revenge by trying to destroy all the Jews in the kingdom. It feels like we're rewinding somewhat to World War II. In typical fashion, Xerxes doesn't even take any effort to find out who he wants to slaughter. He simply takes off his signet ring, hands it over as his sign of authority, and an edict goes out from Haman in the king's name, names a date in the future when every man, woman, and child of Israel will be killed. Big day for them. So word gets out about this to Mordecai, and he's beside himself, so he mourns at the king's gates. And in the context of this society, it would have been uh, like saying that I hugely disagree with the king's decision. It would be like protesting out the front of the houses of parliament, um, Jewish lives matter type style. So Esther uh, sends her servant out to warn Mordecai. He's in great danger by his behavior but Mordecai realizes that only one person can save Israel, the beauty queen, the trophy wife. He instructs Esther to go to the king and plead for him to change his mind on this policy to save their people. Because you see, although God is not named in this book, he is silently working behind the scenes to deliver his people. But it's not without Esther's help. You see the deliverance of the Jews wasn't Esther's responsibility, it was God's responsibility. But Esther did have a responsibility to to be obedient and faithful with the position that she's given, to the calling that she has. You see a career isn't a career is about advancing yourself. But a calling is about serving God. So Esther had to weigh up do I go with my career, my new position, and all the luxuries that come with it? Or do I have a higher calling? And I wonder, do we have a career or do we have a calling? In the midst of nannying, before I got this job, I certainly wasn't looking to my career, but I was questioning my calling. Anyone familiar with the cry, where are you God? <laughs> and, and that was certainly my cry in that time. It was during the time I was getting paid minimum wage as a live-in nanny at the age of 32, being illegally charged rent, I later found out, that I lost my tenants in my rental property in Perth, and uh, as the sole owner, I had to begin sending most of my wage home to cover my mortgage. And then came the mining crash in Western Australia, um, so not only did the rent that I had to charge Pummel, so did the market and the value of my property. So it really sent to my knees, sent me to my knees asking God, where are you? And what's the purpose of this? Uh, Because I felt that God had called me to stay in London, but I didn't feel like God had brought me to the UK to bring up someone else's child whilst also drowning financially. But God was there and he had a purpose greater than I could have ever dreamed or imagined. He knew my calling. I had to trust that he was in it, even if I couldn't see how. So, you see, we don't go alone, just like Esther didn't go alone. We go with God. Say, we go with God. Yeah. Fantastic. This side of the room is awake. We go with God. Yeah. <laughs> Fabulous. He is sovereign. <laughs> uh, so, a career is about advancing ourselves, a calling is about serving God. As I said, Pharaoh had a career. Moses had a calling. Emperor Nero had a career. Paul, who he executed, had a calling. Pilate had a career. Jesus had a calling. So I'm going to let that sit with you whilst I read from Esther chapter 4, verses 10 to 17. You can follow on on page 485. Then she instructed him to say to Mordecai, All the king's officials, And the people of the royal provinces know that for any man or woman who approaches the king in the inner court without being summoned, the king has but one law, that they be put to death unless the king extends the gold scepter to them and spares their lives. But 30 days have passed since I was called to go to the king. When Esther's words were reported to Mordecai, he sent back this answer, do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. and I and my attendants will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king even though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. So Mordecai went away and carried out all of Esther's instructions. Allow me to indulge in a paraphrase of what Mordecai was saying to Esther. Esther, the fate of the whole nation of the people of God rests in your hands and you have not been brought to a time such as this to gain your exquisite wardrobes and collect your fancy perfumes. You have not been brought to a time such as this to become the most beautiful woman in all of the kingdom or for any of the reasons that King Xerxes thinks you have. You have been brought to this point of your life to give everything you have, to risk it all, to work for justice, to spare people a great suffering, to oppose a man who is vile, evil, and supremely powerful, you have been brought to this point in your life to be a part of God's plan to redeem his world, to give everything that you have, to be ready to sacrifice it all, and to lay your whole life down, Esther, do not let your success at filling society's stereotype for women blind you to what God says your life is really about. Esther, you thought you had this fabulous career, but it turns out you have something way more important. You have a calling. And God is with you. We go with God. Yes? Amen. Amen. We also go with those who have gone before us. Esther would have known the Torah so well, um, being a Jew, so she would have known that God had done this before. He's already delivered his people before. He did it through Moses as he led them out of Egypt and sovereignly preserved his people in accordance with his covenant promise to Abraham in Genesis chapter 17. She acted based on that knowledge that God had delivered his people before. See, she had the example of calling. And likewise, we stand on a legacy of faith giants here at St. Dionys, and let us not forget that in our callings. I sometimes uh, catch up with Ellen during the week. He's our welcomer on the the door at our morning service. Some of you may have met him before. And he comes into the office every now and then to, to lend some encouragement. And I was talking to him during the past weeks uh, just asking him what the development he has been like at St. Diana since he started working, or not working here, serving here. Um, and it's been a couple of decades. And he said that they were excited, he remembers being excited about the second home group starting. We now have 13 life groups. The children's program began in the last 30 years. And they, he remembers walking around the parish, leafleting the parish, We now have over 50 people, 50 young people registered in the children's ministry and four different groups. Graham Whittle from our morning service started Fair on the Green, which we're a part of just a few weeks ago. The mission hall has been refurbished with mezzanine. All these people that have been sowing into the foundations of this church. It was part of their calling and now we get to stand on their shoulders to realize ours. The plaque on this, the wall next to the vestry, the blue plaque behind me, um, I read it every now and then because our photocopy is right underneath at the moment. But there are plaques right around this church. I encourage you to, to take hold of them and read some of them. This one talks of a man who was martyred at just 25 years of age. And he came to this church from the ages of 12 to 20, during which time he received his first communion and served as a choir boy. The people here at that church must have done an amazing job if he was prepared to die for his faith. Esther could have easily responded to her calling by saying, "It's not my fault." But imagine if Jesus had have said that. We get so caught up in whose fault it is, we miss the point. It's the government's fault. It's the rich people's fault. It's Brexit's fault. It's the terrorist's fault. It's God's fault. But sometimes says, it's not your fault, but it is your time. See, it wasn't Esther's fault that the king was a joke, that her man was a monster. The Jews were in exile, but she did have the opportunity to do something about it. She had access, privilege, gifts to make a difference. Esther realizes that she needs time to ask for clarity and courage about her mission. So she petitions to God. Let's look again at chapter 4, verse 16. When this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law. And then she responds with words that were as magnificent in courage as Mordecai's were in their challenge. And if I perish, I perish. What an amazing example of faith and calling is Esther. King Xerxes thought he got Barbie, but he actually got G.I. Jane. (laughs) She was on fire for God's mission. She made a choice to say yes to God's mission and God's calling on her life, so are we prepared to do the same? I'm sure that most of us at some point have found ourselves in a situation that has challenged our faith and prompted that searching question. Well, God gave me an answer to my situation. A stable job here at this church a full-time wage, a visa to stay. Therein was the purpose of my season nannying. I had been nannying for such a time as this. Little did I know that at the time. Through my employment, God gave me the means to stay in London, a job that I love, and he uses me in it daily. It has been, for this season, my calling. And I've even managed to hang on to my property. It wasn't easy to remain obedient when the situation looked impossible, and I'm still financially rebuilding, but I had to put my trust in God, and God's got it, and I love the story of Esther because it asks us to be willing to trust God's providence, even when we can't see it working. It gives us a hope no matter how bad things get. God is committed to rebuilding his people, and I can't repeat that enough. God is committed to you. And to ask. So Esther asked the king to reverse the edict and he agrees. He goes on to say in chapter 8, verse 17, on page 487. No, on 488. In every province and in every city to which the edict of the king came... There was joy and gladness among the Jews with feasting and celebrating. And many people of other nationalities became Jews because, the f- because fear of the Jews has seized them. God wins the battle. And finally, as I'm, I'm coming into land, we go with each other. So firstly, we go with God. We go with those who have gone before us. And we go with each other. My question to you tonight is, who is your Mordecai? One of my best friends at home, Joe, um, who's a pastor back in my church. She was my youth pastor uh, growing up. She really challenged me when I started a relationship with a man that didn't believe in Jesus. And it was a few years ago. And I, she said she was the only one in my life prepared to say, I think you're playing with fire. Um, Everybody else was just happy to see me happy. Um, Thankfully, it only lasted six weeks before I came to my senses and realized that that actually was not God's best plan for my life. That's my personal story. I'm not sure what yours is, but I'm sure we've all had times where we needed somebody to bring us accountability or to challenge us, someone in our lives that loves us enough to take a risk for Jesus when we're considering settling for what I like to call comfortable Christianity. Esther could easily have taken that path with all the luxuries being afforded her, but she had Mordecai speaking over her. So I I challenge us tonight that actually the church is the ideal habitat for for humans to develop in, in this way. It's where my physical, emotional, and spiritual me is developed where the selfish me is challenged, especially when I give out to others. It's where I get to understand that I'm a vital part of this, but also you are too. We're vital, but we need to get an understanding that other people are vital as well. Let's choose to be other people focused. Jesus said, I will build my church. That's an invitation open to everybody. So let's choose to be other people focused. If we're not careful, we'll end up pursuing other things. So it's time to break up with comfortable Christianity, church. Esther had to. Love is a verb, so let's get up off our couches. Hollywood is not going to heal our hearts, but Jesus can. One final fascinating thing about the book of Esther is the moral ambiguity of the characters that I actually hadn't thought about too much before I was preparing for this sermon. It's amazing what you can pull out of it when you really dig deep. There's actually a lot of drinking and anger and sex and murder, all of which Esther and Mordecai are a part of, not to mention the violation of many commands in the Torah, like marrying Gentiles or eating impure foods. So the story is not putting Mordecai and Esther forward as moral examples, as if God endorses their behavior, but he still chooses to use them. How many times do we disqualify ourselves for flying the flag for God's kingdom because of our past? But the great news is that God calls all of us. That's what his grace is all about. Instead, Esther and Mordecai put forward of models of trust and of hope when things get really bad as examples that God does indeed deliver us and can use us as we choose to be transformed by him and be used for his glory. So who's there to encourage you that God can deliver you? To trust him in whatever your situation. I challenge you to invite that person to speak with freedom when you next need to be challenged. It's it's great having my prayer accountability triplet for that too Um, and if you're not in one please talk to us at the back at the end of the service. Freedom came with a great cost, and it's for this freedom that Christ has saved us. It's for the freedom of others, though, that we must rise up also in this truth, just as Esther did. Just like uh, God not is, is not mentioned in the story of Esther, sometimes we can't see how God is working in our own situations. But I want to encourage you today, you are not alone. God is with you. He's here. He knows you inside out. He knows the thoughts and the plans that He has towards you and the measure entrusted to make them a reality. He knows what disturbs and impassions you. He knows what keeps you up at night better than anyone. He knows how to develop every aspect of your life and every inch of your character, of your journey according to his will. And he also knows how to include you in the things that are calling your name, that are in desperate need of intervention, your intervention for his kingdom. So my prayer this morning is that we all step up in the places and the the roles that God has placed each of us in, whether that's um, colleague, daughter, sister, mother, uh, father, brother, husband, volunteer, neighbor. Make a commitment to be as bold as Esther did. Many are chosen, sorry, many are called, let me get it right, many are called, few are chosen. So choose to believe that you are the right man or woman in the right place at the right time, and choose to make your life an offering to your king, the almighty God, I promise you, the reward will way outweigh the sacrifice. Let's take a moment just to mull on what God's been speaking to you about through the word. There's a lot of challenge there. Holy Spirit, we just invite you into our hearts right now. We know that you are here and we are so thankful that you go with us. Stir us, Lord, in the places that you want us to dig deeper for you. Bring to light those areas of our lives where we need to be bolder for your name. And highlight the areas that we can speak into For your kingdom. Let's just have some personal time now of seeking God for what He has for you this evening.